What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where each episode I interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight-up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. I'm your host, Brian Moore, and today I'm interviewing Gary Ridge, the CEO and president of WD40. You might be asking yourself, why should I listen to a podcast episode with the leader of a company whose claim to fame is removing squeaks from rusty hinges and bicycle chains? Well, I can promise you this episode is chock full of amazing lessons on leadership, building culture, how to sustain high octane performance, and a few ripping good yarns along the way. Gary joined WD40 in July of 1987 and became the CEO in 1997. One look at their financial performance and even the most skeptical on the topic of purpose-driven and servant-based leadership and its impact on financial results will begin to take notice. In this discussion, Gary shares a variety of wisdom on topics like why empathy should always trump ego, why the most important leadership lessons date back to our time in kindergarten, the reason Gary and the WD-40 team refer to themselves as a tribe, the WD-40 Maniac Pledge that all tribe members sign, Gary's advice to all current and future leaders, and of course, this episode wouldn't be complete without a few stories of the uncommon and dare I say wacky uses for WD-40. I have been dying to have Gary on the show and I can tell you, you are not going to be disappointed. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Gary Ridge. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Built on Purpose podcast. I am super excited today. Joining me is the president and CEO of WD40, Mr. Gary Ridge. Gary, in my best Australian accent, which is probably pathetic. Good day, mate. Well, that's not so bad. G'day, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty pathetic, but thanks for uh, going easy on me. Um, yeah, right. So, Gary, you know, what a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for joining me. And I think the place that I'd like to start is I, I have to assume that there's no doubt every single one of our listeners has used or at least heard of WD-40, the, the blue and yellow can with the red top. But I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that most of our listeners don't know the origin of the company and the story. Can you share with us the WD-40 story? Sure, Brian. And it would depend in what country they're in, because let me tell you that if their people are in the United States and probably Australia or the United Kingdom or some of the other more developed countries, there's a big chance the blue and yellow can with a little red top has found its way into their lives. But if they're sitting in China, one of the things that excites me is today in China for the very first time, someone will meet the blue and yellow can with a little red top for the very first time. So um, that's exciting. Uh, so, But you're right, if they're in the US, probably so. But let's hope you've got some international people listening to this great sharing that you do. WD-40 was... Uh, born on September 23, 1953 in San Diego. Uh, it was the outcome of needing to solve a problem uh, with condensation and corrosion in the umbilical cord of the Atlas space rocket. The company was called Rocket Chemical Company and the chemists in the day were challenged by this opportunity to solve the problem. So they got to work in their little lab and started messing around. Uh, they weren't quite successful 39 times. The 40th time though, um, the product delivered. 
and it met the requirements. So uh, that's why it's called WD, stands for Water Displacer 40th Formula. And I'm extremely pleased they didn't stop at 39. <laughs> yeah, I guess WD39 doesn't have the same ring that WD40 does. Either that or the power of branding in action that uh, so many of us, at least in the U.S., as you pointed out, uh, know WD40 so, so well. Um, you joined the company in 1987, and I'd love to hear, maybe you could share a little bit about what drew you into WD-40 back in 1987. Well, I thank you. Yeah, I, I just celebrated 30 years as, a, as an employee, but I've had about 35 years um, experience with the brand. Before joining WD-40, I worked for a company in Australia called Hawker Pacific. They were the licensee for WD-40, so I... I got to know the folks here in the U.S. through that relationship, and uh, in 1987, um, they decided that, given that the license arrangement was coming to an end, and that they wanted to, the company WD40 company wanted to turn up the volume on really understanding international markets. They decided to open a, a subsidiary in Australia to primarily work in the Asia Pacific region. Um, and they asked me whether I would like to join the company. Uh, my dad um, worked for one company for 50 years, from when he was 15 to when he was 65. And he was an engineer. And I, I remember the conversation I had with him uh, after I'd been given the offer to move to this company. And I said, what do you think, Dad? He said, WD-40? Can't go wrong with that stuff, son. And I think that's the that sealed the deal for me. <laughs> Good advice from dad. I love it. I love it. You know, a, a, as a leader, you've had a tremendous impact on the WD-40 organization. And I know you'd be the first to say that you didn't do it alone. I want to spend a few moments and just explore some of your deeply held beliefs around leadership. And in particular, there's a few that I'd like to focus on. And the first is a, uh, a, a quote that I saw that you had said, and it, it went something like, all you really need to know about leadership is learned in kindergarten. And I was hoping yeah. that maybe you could expand on that a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, I got the good fortune to meet Ken Blanchard. I had the good fortune to meet Ken Blanchard nearly, uh, nearly 20 years ago. And Ken said to me, you only ever have to read one book about leadership. And he said, in fact, I read it every summer and it's all I need to know I learned in kindergarten by Robert Fulgram and I said okay so I, I've got the book and I read it and it is so true that the basic principles it teaches you like you know say please and thank you pick up after yourself don't steal from you know people help people across the road the list goes on if you just take those principles and think about them it's truly you know what what the core of leadership is all about. And uh, I often say, you know, or share with people, if you only have time to read one, read this one, um, because those basic principles are there. It's about treating people with respect and dignity. It's about being a true servant, because as a leader, you're, you know, you're entrusted with um, the, the stewardship of, your stewardship of others is so important. Uh, so that's where that came from. And I, I, every summer, I read it again myself. I've had that discipline because I think it's so important. 
That's great. And and I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that that foundation uh, is a perfect tie-in to this next held belief, which uh, you believe in that leadership is an inside out job. Can you, can you describe that and elaborate on what you mean by an inside out job? Well, you know, before you can lead others, you really have to understand who you are. So who are you as a leader and, uh, and what do you stand for? And, and what are the things that motivate you, um, in life? Um, you know, years ago, I, Back in, I think it was in the year 2000, probably, when I was at USD doing my master's degree, I wrote a a life purpose that said my life purpose was to use my leadership skills and and common sense to motivate and encourage people so they can maximize their opportunities, meet our common goals, and have a lot of fun doing it. And I, I worked out that, you know, to do that, you had to understand what your values were and what your beliefs were. And you also really had to get comfortable with having empathy eat your ego and not have your ego eat your empathy. Um, so that was, those were the, the kind of foundations that I used to think about a lot. I love that. I love that. And, you know, since you brought up uh, Ken Blanchard, you know, something I read, uh, and I think this is just, uh, you've integrated this beautifully into the WD-40 culture, uh, goes back to uh, Ken's time as a, as a professor, where at the beginning of the class, he would hand out the final exam during the very first class and then work throughout the semester or throughout the class program to help students get an A and not be surprised at the end of the program, you know, and, and essentially look to, uh, you know, simply grade their paper. And this idea of, you know, don't grade my paper, help me get an A. And along those lines, I think there's a pretty interesting story that I read of you in an overnight stay at a London hotel. And I'm hoping all, <laughs> all of this can uh, will lead to you telling and sharing that that brief story and what this don't grade my paper help me get an A is all about. Sure. Um, well, the, the basis of don't mark my paper help me get an A, it was in a class that I was in that Ken was was teaching and and he talked about that theory and I thought, duh, how silly, how stupid are we in business? What we do when we try to review the performance of our people, we use some uh, mechanism to calculate some sort of a funny grade. And then once a year, we sit down and review people and, and coaching and people development is a minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month. Um, uh, responsibility of leadership. So Ken and I kind of, you know, we were on the same page and in fact it led to us writing a book together which is called, you know, Helping People Win at Work or Don't Mark My Paper, Help Me Get an A. Um, but the the thing that was also uh, you know, clear to me was that experience I had in London where, you know, the short story on that is I'd been flying around the world, I got to London, um, I was at the end of my trip uh, I'd been working with our folks there and it was a Friday night in London and I, I love British comedy and I thought, you know, tonight I'm going to go across the road to the supermarket of the Sainsbury's. I'm going to pick up you know, something to eat, grab a, a couple of beers and I'm going to you know, find on BBC One, Two or 
or one of the English channels, some English comedy, enjoy it. So it's the middle of winter in London, and I thought that's a pretty cool thing to do. So I go back to my hotel room, and I put on my shorts and my T-shirt, my flip-flops. Well, actually, they weren't my flip-flops. They were those ones you get given in the hotel that are always too small, and they never fit on your feet, you know. So I, I, I kind of settle back and I turn on my TV and I open my beer and I'm ready to go and the alarm bell starts to go off in the hotel and I did what I've normally done. You know, I, I ignored it because I've norm, my my previous experiences were they go off and then they turn them off again. Someone's flipped a switch somewhere. Well, this one wasn't going to go off this night. Next thing, there's a bash on my door and evacuate the hotel. So not thinking, I, I grabbed my passport and I grabbed my cell phone and I started down the stairs and I hit the street of the Barclay Square in London. I'm thinking, holy dooly, what am I doing here? It's, I don't know what freezing degrees and I'm here in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and these stupid flip-flops and I'm not very happy about that. And, well, we're standing out there and then it starts to rain and people who know me know I don't have a lot of hair, so that's not going to do my hair any good. And Oh, so eventually, about an hour or so later, um, they let us back into the hotel. Fortunately, there wasn't an issue. Someone had left a package out and, and it was, I guess, someone's school bag and the teacher wasn't going to be very happy because that got blown up. But, you know, I get back to my room. I'm freezing cold. My beer's hot. My food's cold. I've missed the, the whole, you know, the whole experience. Um, so I... I dealt with that and I'm flying back the next week and I'm thinking, you know, what, what was my learning moment in all that? And it really, what hit me was, Gary, listen to the alarm bells. So I, I took a piece of paper out and I, I put a line down the middle and I put a, on one side personal, the other side business and I wrote alarm bells and I said to myself, write down every alarm bell that's going off in your life right now. So I started to make this list and it got pretty extensive and then I got a highlighter and I went through and said, well, what are the ones I really want to listen to? And one of them was based on, you know, we're doing a very bad job at, at really helping our people get A's in the organization and we're going to focus on that. That's a fantastic story and I think a, a wonderful a metaphor for all of us to take note of as there are alarm bells going off everywhere and to make sure that, that we're paying attention to them and not simply falling into the routine of doing things the way we've always done them. There's a, there's a great saying that I once heard from uh, an individual that I had done some work with and the saying goes something like, what worked well yesterday works less well today and there's a pretty good chance it won't work at all tomorrow. And so that idea of just constantly paying attention, taking note of your your surroundings and continually leaning into those learning moment opportunities as they come. You know, Brian, one of the things that I found a great value that I disciplined on, on doing more now than ever before is asking myself a very simple question. Why do I believe that? Because so often we operate within a belief system that may well be outdated. So, you know, something will come up and wait a minute, why do I believe that? It was okay for me to believe it because when I decided some time ago I, I'm going to believe this, I hope I put some thought around it, but now I go, well, what, wait a minute, why do I believe that? What am I missing? What don't I know? And it's very, it's a, it's a really useful discipline. Yeah, that is. That's absolutely fabulous. I love that. And there's actually a really great quote uh, by Bertrand Russell that just popped to mind as you were sharing that. And that is, the quote goes, 
In all affairs, it's a healthy thing now and then to hang a question mark on the things you've long taken for granted. And I think what you just said is the per- perfect summary of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I read something the other day that I thought was great. It was intuitive theories are often easier to believe in than to prove. <laughs> so true. So true. So uh, let's talk for a moment. I want to talk about WD-40, you know, this this blue and yellow can with the red top that certainly those of us in the U.S. know so incredibly well. And, you know, at face value, you know, having grown up in the Midwest and seeing cans of it on the shelf in the garage and knowing that that's what you use if you want to remove a squeak or provide some, you know, some additional grease to something that uh, may not be working as well as it should, Um it's interesting to me that the WD-40 purpose and what you speak about is it's about creating positive, lasting memories. And that's why you exist. And boy, if I, if I don't subscribe to this idea of business operates to fulfill a higher purpose and in doing so can enrich the lives of all of its stakeholder community, it might be really difficult for the naysayer or the non-believer to look at what WD-40 does, the product you create, the consumer packaged good you are responsible for, and look at a purpose of creating positive lasting memories and not be able to make that connection whatsoever. So I would love for you to share with us a little bit, how did WD-40 arrive at this higher purpose of creating positive lasting memories? Um, I think it comes two ways. Uh, you know, firstly, as I've been with the company over time, um, it became really clear to me when, when I used to share what I did, you know, someone would say, what do you do? And I say, I work for WD-40. Oh, WD-40. I love that stuff. I remember when. And in fact, you just said that to me. You just, you just shared with me your memories of the Midwest that took you back home. And I bet if I quizzed you a little bit, you, you would remember, you know, working probably with your dad on a tractor or a car and, 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 you know, I call that rocket, rocking chair kind of memories about, you know, good times that you've had. And, and it hit us. It says, you know, we are, we're in the memories business. We exist to create positive lasting memory. So why shouldn't we have that as a higher purpose? And why shouldn't we in, you know, really embed that in everything we do? We, we make things work smoothly and we create opportunities. And it's even to the point where you know, I'll, I'll be coming back through customs or immigration in the US and someone will say, in the, the immigration officer, what do you do? WD-40, oh, I remember when, you know. Blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's always this, this absolute, positive outcome of the interaction with the brand. And the reason people have that is that it's an honest brand. It does what it says it's going to do. And it usually delights people more than they think it does. And it even delights me. I'll give you an example. I, I was um, messing at home and one of the, the breaker switches in our outside power unit would not reset. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe I should call the electrician. So I, I call the electrician and I leave him a message and my wife and I are about to go out and do something. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go spray WD-40 in that breaker and, you know, who cares? It may not work. So I spray it in the breaker and I go out, I come back and I 
push it on and the thing works again. So now I've reset the, the breaker for our outside lighting system. And it's like, hmm, there it is. Even me. It, and this is, it, it just delights me. It saved me probably $130. Um, but but I, and, and if it hadn't worked, Brian, I would have forgiven it. I would have said, well, if WD-40 can't fix it, probably nothing can. <laughs> I love that. I love it. It's a great story. Yeah, some of my memories, and I don't know why this is the, mem- the, 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 the memories that come to mind, but I remember the can itself and the little super, super thin red straw that was always, it had the little... Uh, adhesive slot that you'd stick the straw in and then sticking the straw into the can nozzle and getting it just perfect so that when I go to spray the hinge or whatever it was, that the spray would come out in this perfect, you know, super thin, maybe a a half of a centimeter sized in diameter right into the spot that I want it. And I don't know why that's the memory that emerges when I think of WD-40 and my dad in the garage, but but that's what comes up is that that silly little red straw that seemed to me to be so important to get it right where you want it. And, you know, that's correct. And, and the great thing is that if you look at the values of WD-40 company, our number one value at the company is we value doing the right thing. Our number two value is we value creating positive, lasting memories in all of our relationships. So memories or creating positive, lasting memories is a value in the organization, whether it be creating that memory with our end users, the people who trust us with the product, whether it be with our tribe members, the people within the company, whether it be with our vendors, even with our competitors and with our shareholders. And it's great to be able to sit in a, a meeting of, you know, we, of our innovation development group and and they'll have a new product concept on the table, whether it be a new delivery system for the core brand or whether it be a new product under our specialist brand or a WD-40 bike brand. And and you can ask this question and it doesn't hurt anybody. It says, help me understand what the positive lasting memory will be when our end user uses this. Mm. And if we can't answer that question, it doesn't get to wear the uniform. Mm. So what a wonderful, wonderful discipline that brings to us. Because anybody can put stuff in a can. We've got to put memories in a can. And what a wonderful, simplistic lighthouse, if you will, on the shores of what will undoubtedly be rocky seas from time to time, this volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world we live in to have that definitive does it accomplish this type of question that helps everyone arrive at the right decision every time? Mm-hmm. And that's why values are so important in the organization because values set people free. So true. So true. Well, since, you know, let's talk about the tribe and, uh, and the culture of the organization. And, you know, I think the first point that needs to be raised is, the, the word tribe and this idea of tribal leadership and why the WD-40 organization has built a tribe. It's a, it's a group of tribe members. It's not teammates. It's not, you're not referred to as employees. You're members of a tribe. Why this particular uh, phrase, why tribal as opposed to the other options that exist today? Um, one of, one of the many learnings I've had over the years, um, many years ago, was I, I worked out that micromanagement wasn't scalable. And if we were going to take the blue and yellow can with a little red top to the world, 
we had to have a culture that empowered people, that enriched their learning, and that they needed, that they knew they belonged to. One of the the, the most um, dominant desires we have as human beings is to belong. We, you know, we we've all left relationships, parties, organisations, or jobs because we didn't feel like we belonged. And if you look at Maslow's hierarchy to self-actualization, the first two rungs, most organizations fulfill them. They, they, you know, are people safe and, and, and are they, do they have enough to provide for themselves, safety and security? The next one is love or belonging. And organizations don't focus on it because they don't understand that that's such a driver. So then we thought about, well, what do you belong to? Well, let's think about a team. A team is something you belong to situationally to win a game. But if you think about tribes, a tribe is something that you belong to that's enduring over time, that survives over time, and that's protective of its members. Um, and I, I think it's so it was such an important part of our thinking. And Simon Sinek in his book, Leaders Eat Last, he has a... a a quote in there from Aesop from the 6th century, and it says, a lion used to prowl about a field in which four oxen used to dwell. Many a time he tried to attack them, but whenever he came near them, they turned their tails to one another. So whichever way he approached them, he was met by the horns of one of them. At last, however, they fell a quarreling among themselves, and each went off to a pasture alone in a separate corner of the field. The, then the lion attacked them one by one and soon made an end to all four. Simon talks about the tribe having a circle of safety. So we said that tribes were really what's important. And then we did some research and we looked at what are the attributes that were so important to a tribe. And guess what the number one responsibility of a tribal leader is? learning and teaching. And I'll give you the example. Let's look about, let's talk about for a moment the Australian Aborigines. Years ago, thousands of years ago, in my home country, in the middle of the desert, in the blazing hot, these people would stay together. Now, if any of you, and you or the listeners, have ever tried to throw a boomerang, a boomerang is really difficult to use effectively. But if you are trained to throw it, when you throw it, if it doesn't hit what you're trying to hit to kill, to be able to eat, it'll come back to you. So what do you think is the number one responsibility of the Aboriginal tribal leader? It's to teach the younger tribe members how to throw a boomerang effectively because if they can't do it, they're not gonna survive. So that really played into our belief of learning and teaching is so important. And there are other attributes. They have values, they, they, they're few focused on the future, they have specialized skills, they're warriors, they have celebration. So we brought all this together and, and that's why we call ourselves a tribe. And uh, that's why we are a tribe. I love it. I absolutely love it. And that is just a great story about the Aborigines and how they uh, how they do what they do. And uh, I, I'm by no means uh, versed enough on their culture and the way in which uh, they operate, but uh, I, it's a great, great uh, metaphor for who you guys are and what you stand for. Um, I'd love to talk a bit about 
uh, this idea of accountability. And in particular, I want to talk about the Maniac Pledge. And this is something that I think has become a, a it's a ritual. It's more than a ritual. Uh, I'm using my words, not yours, at, at how important this pledge is for the WD-40 tribe. Um, if you'll indulge, I'd like to read the pledge, and then I'd love for you to sure. share where this originated from and why this is so important. So the Maniac Pledge states, I am responsible for taking action, asking questions, getting answers, and making decisions. I won't wait for someone to tell me. If I need to know, I'm responsible for asking. I have no right to be offended that I didn't get this sooner. If I'm doing something others should know about, I'm responsible for telling them. That is the Maniac Pledge. Where did it come from? Why is it important? And why Maniac Pledge? Well, um, it came from a, a situation where um, people in the organization were spending more time complaining that they didn't know than really making the effort to find out. So it was developed really to... Um, to give people permission. And uh, at that time, way back, we were, we were playing with this, myself and, a, and another tribe member, Mike. Um, he, he and I were talking about it and, and we started to draft it up. So Mike and I, he, he's part author of this. He, um, he helped me put this in, in a framework that we could share. And why a maniac? Well, you know, maniacs are people who are, are really focused on something. They're, they're so... Uh, I'm going to be so intense about this thing. So um, we we delivered it, and what it does, it's it's a it's a pledge of permission. It really says to anyone in the organisation, you have the permission to be able to exercise the maniac pledge and say, you know what, I'm allowed to ask the question, and particularly, I'm not allowed to hoard the information, and particularly, if I know something, I should be sharing. I love it. I love it. You know, in all of my experiences, Gary, one of the, the more challenging aspects of leadership is to help every member of a team, or in this case of your tribe, um, how, to see their role and how what they do day in, day out contributes to the overall higher purpose of an organization. And given this idea of creating positive, lasting memories, there are undoubtedly people in uh, one of the 175 plus countries that you serve, you have more than 450 tribe members across those countries that you serve. H how is it that you and your team, the leadership team, how are you able to create an environment that really reinforces that connective tissue so that every member of the tribe really does see and feel how what they do day in, day out connects to the overall higher purpose of the organization? Um, the simple answer is we're committed to it. Um, it's our behavior every day. Um, you know, we, we have transparency, no lying, no faking, no hiding. Um, we're open to, to everyone. Um, we respect that everybody has a point of view. Um, we treat people with respect and dignity. So, you know, I think the bottom line is we're committed to it. And number two is, you know, leadership is simple but not easy. And time is not your friend. And, you know, we've really kept the course on the principles around our values, around our, 
purpose, um, around you know our learning moments uh, for now nearly 20 years, and you know, that's why we have 93% employee engagement. It, it really and makes me nearly sick to think that. 70% of people who got up today and went to work are disengaged or actively disengaged in what they do. So they, you know, they don't go home happy. They don't feel like they've made a contribution to something bigger than themselves. You know, we are not enriching their lives. We are not helping them to, to have a positive mental attitude. And that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. And leadership, uh, it's leadership's bad for allowing that to exist. But a lot of it exists because it's, it's ego is eating empathy instead of empathy eating ego. And it's, leadership is simple, but it's not easy, as I said, and it's hard work. I mean, as a leader, you know, it's like being on Broadway without having an interval in the show. Hmm. So if you, don't, if you don't want to be a leader, a good one, do yourself and the world a favor. Don't try to be. Hmm. I think that's great advice. You know, and I want to spend just a moment. You had mentioned time not being uh, your friend. Um, and I want to use that as a bit of a, a segue to this tension that seems to be intensifying, in particular with publicly held organizations. And there was a recent Wall Street Journal article that was talking about the unfortunate uh, firing of Ford CEO, DuPont CEO, and Honeywell CEO amidst the three of those CEOs at the time, leading to quite extraordinary financial results for the organizations. But the the activist investors and the short-term thinking that has just seeped into our financial markets and people wanting to get rich quick, and it's just you know using that as, as the phrase, is really causing uh, this uh, this intense amount of tension in leadership today. And you've been able to clearly, and I'm not sure it hasn't been without its challenges, but, you know, and just looking at the past uh, handful of years, you know, the WD-40 organization has been outperforming the markets. And I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that there's some amazing ability that you and your team, along with your board and the people who are making these right decisions, to look at WD-40's impact with a much longer term horizon, not a, what are you going to do for me this quarter only type mentality? And that's just my assumption. And I don't know what, if anything, you can share along this time not being your friend, but you somehow, with the help of all of your stakeholders, creating an environment in which you, you, in a sense, have made time your friend. Well, you know, I, I wrote in a shareholder letter a year or two ago, the vision-crushing ritual of quarterly earnings is no true measure of the long-term success of an organization. And, you know, we, we need to have a, a clear purpose, a clear set of values, strategic drivers that, um, that, that focus us and our time and our talent and our treasure and our technology in the right direction. And with all of that, profit will be the applause of doing good work. So, yeah, we've, we have been um, focused on the longer term. Um, I, I said some time ago to, to then and still our largest shareholder, I'm really sorry, I'm not smart enough to run our business in 90-day intervals. 
And they said to me, Gary, thank God you're not dumb enough to run our business at night. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's particular investors that want a different performance. If someone wants to follow us quarter by quarter, they shouldn't own our stock. But if you would have bought us, you know, over the last 18 years, we've had a compounded annual growth rate of total shareholder return in excess of 12% over that period of time. Our market cap has gone from 250 million to 1.6 billion over that period of time. We're brave enough to say to the market, this is what we think we're going to look like in 2025. Now, along the way, things are going to bounce around, but we've, we've stated publicly in 2025, we're going to have revenues of about 700 million. And, you know, from that, we'll exercise our business model and we'll have at least double the earnings we have now. And if you want to be with us then, be with us, but don't come into the party and, and just want to dance at one of the songs and then think that's the only song we're going to play. We're here for the duration. I love, I love, I love it. Such a, yep. It's such a, uh, it's, it's just so refreshing. So refreshing. You know, a couple other areas that I just want to touch on before we, uh, before we wrap up what is just flying by time wise. Um, one of which is, you know, given the global focus of WD 40 and all the brands that fall underneath it, yeah, I'd imagine you've got a, a pretty solid global view uh, and hear a lot and see a lot about how the U.S. is being viewed and some of the decisions that are being made today. And, you know, at the risk of getting too political, I'd just love to hear uh, any summary you might offer, given your global perspective uh, of, of how what's happening right now in the U.S. in particular, is being viewed from a global perspective, not necessarily yours, but just what you're seeing and hearing. Yeah, this is not mine, but but what I see and hear as I as I go around the world is um, a, a a curious. I'm going to call call it a curious uncertainty of what's really driving the the vision of the United States. Um, you know. Why does the United States want to become insular, um, which is what a lot of people kind of see it as? You know, it's 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 a bit like it's all about us, and if we're okay, um, then you know the world is okay. But if you if you look at you know, um, it, it, it's not it can't be you know we're okay and and the rest of the world you know. You don't matter, and I don't think it is that. But you know, that we're certainly going through some very interesting times. I'm not sure that I understand why you know um, only 19% of the population you know, cared enough to elect someone. You know, where I come from in Australia, voting is compulsory, and I, I'm just you know, gobsmacked to think that so few people in the United States exercise their right to vote. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. I agree. It is. And it is interesting. I think if anything that, that I've learned is the interconnectedness of the world uh, is just is is so much larger than I had ever given it credit for growing up and, and continuing to grow up that, you know, the concept of as long as the U.S. is OK, then everything will be OK. I understand there's a need to take care of, you know, things in your own backyard. 
but I believe that you can take care of things in your own backyard while also lending a helping hand to your neighbors, you know, around the block. And I think that's something that uh, I hope we continue to see more of. But uh, we'll 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 cap we'll cap that conversation there. Uh, and and the last thing that I want to uh, to touch upon is given your 30 years with the organization, boy, there must be some great, great and some wacky stories of uh, how your customers have used WD-40 and some of the different utilization cases, if you will. Are there any that come to mind that you would love to share with our listeners? Well, there's so many. We actually put a list on our website of 2,000 uses. We're back in Actually, the year 2000, we ran a, a contest, and, and, and at that stage, you know, internet and, and internet communication was only at its, its really early stages. But we asked our, our end users in the United States to tell us their favorite use for WD 40. We got over 400,000 people to tell us <laughs> their, their favorite use for WD 40. We, we actually were able, there was a lot of duplication, no doubt, and we, um, we now have a list on our website at wd40company.com um, of the 2,000 uses. I, I've heard a lot uh, around the, the world. Um, there's a couple that always stay in my mind. There was a, a lady in the Midwest who had a bird feeder in her backyard, and, and she was frustrated because the squirrels used to climb up the steel pole of the bird feeder and, and eat bird feed so the birds weren't getting their feed so she would spray the pole with WD-40 and obviously <laughs> um, it, it didn't hurt the squirrel but you can imagine it was pretty difficult to get up the pole. Uh, That's a good one. That, that, that was pretty good but some of the the, the new uses you know I, I was uh, I was just sharing with someone the other day um, you know WD-40 is fantastic for removing and grime and finger marks off stainless steel. And um, it's a big use now that, you know, people, and I, I use it in my home. I you know, spray a bit on a rag and I'm, I'm, I'm the fridge cleaner. Uh, and it just takes all of the, the, the finger marks off, it leaves a nice um, dull uh, sheen on the, on the equipment and uh, cleaning my outside barbecue with it's always good too. But um, there's a lot of uses for it. And um, the memories are there. Yeah, that's right. I love the squirrel one. I I could only imagine that uh, that poor squirrel uh, attempting to scale the pole and wondering why. Well, I was able to do it yesterday, but I can't do it today. Nothing seems different. <laughs> uh, so, Gary, uh, last uh, last last moment here. Any words of advice or anything that uh, you'd like to share with the CEOs and leaders who you know tune into this program from time to time to hear from amazing individuals like yourself, uh, any last pieces of advice or uh, things that you'd want to share perhaps that we haven't covered? You know, I, I always think it's interesting. You know, I, I, I'm always inspired by Simon Sinek. You know, he says about a passionate culture, imagine a world where people go to work every day, they make a contribution to something bigger than themselves, they're passionate about it, they feel safe while they're doing it, and they go home happy. And and how how would a CEO feel if their employee was to say, I love working for you? Um, they'd be aligned with the, the company's purpose. Um, they'd be warriors about the strategy and they, they'd love learning and they, they know that they are protected by the company's values. 
So I think the important things are a clear purpose, uh, a clear set of freedom enabling values, uh, an environment where fear is removed by and, and, is, and is nourished by learning. Because at the end of the day, I truly believe that purpose-driven, passionate people guided by values are folks that do wonderful things. Ladies and gentlemen, the CEO of the WD-40 Tribe, Mr. Gary Ridge. Gary, it has been a pleasure, an honor. I wish you and the WD-40 Tribe nothing but continued success as you continue to create positive, lasting memories for everybody that you come into contact with. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. My pleasure. Have a great week, and uh, I hope to chat sometime soon. I hope you enjoyed hearing my interview with Gary. If you're interested in a transcribed version of this show or want to listen to more episodes of the Built on Purpose podcast, please visit yscouts.com forward slash podcast. If you'd like to recommend someone as a guest for the show, please drop me a line at brian at yscouts.com. I promise more great interviews are on the way. Thanks again for listening.